0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More
1: information about
0: Grace City Church is available at GraceCitySd.com.
1: Now we're going to go into our scripture reading, and so if you guys wouldn't mind pulling out your Bibles, we're going to look at Joshua, five, verse ten. Um, and if you don't already, excuse me. Uh, if you don't already own a Bible, please know that there is free Bibles on the exits. Um, I got a free Bible and I use it at home. So it's for everyone. Uh, so yeah, Joshua 5, 10, it reads, While the people of Israel were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land unleavened cake, and parched grain. And the manna seized that day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing there before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or our adversaries? None went out and none came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, "See, I have given Jericho into your hands, and with its king and mighty men of valor." Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, providing in the in the desert and uh, what we see here in Scripture. Lord, God, I pray that you open up our hearts to see you. In the midst of everything i pray for blessing over pastor randall as he brings your word um, god thank you for his faithful um, studying of scripture and sharing lord may we be alert to what you have we pray these things in your holy name amen hey thank you leela good morning church family how you doing what's up Zeki?
0: buddy. All right, well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, I just want to say welcome this morning to you if you're new. Um, you know, one of the, the things about our church family is that we want to equip you with the gospel for everyday life, and so that's our mission is we want to equip you well, and I believe that one of the areas that the church, and I'm speaking the church in general, has not been equipped well is in the space of Faith, Gender, Sexuality. And so what happens is people go to YouTube, they go to TikTok, they go to all these places where they're getting really bad answers and unbiblical answers. Um, And so I want to invite you, there's a conference going to be happening in San Diego County, um, Faith, Sexuality, and Gender Conference. Uh, Dr. Preston Sprinkle is going to be there leading the way. And so there are churches all over San Diego that are going to be coming together to be equipped. And so I want to encourage you you can get uh, a ticket online. You can do this um, in person. It's going to be here in San Diego. Um, But we're going to send out an email. And if this is something where you're like, man, this is a topic where I've been wrestling with, I don't understand. Lord, help me. I've got some questions. Maybe you've got some family and some people in your life that have, got, have questions. We encourage you to come to this conference. Get equipped, okay? Um, so that's coming up October 19th through 20th. Now, uh, if you're just joining us today, we are in a vision series. And so you came at the right time. We're in the second week of this series. Um, so it's the very front end of this. And uh, the series is called Make All Things New. Make all things new. Uh, This is a prayer. It's a prayer that God would make all things new. And it's a hope and a vision that we pray that God would do in San Diego, that He'd make all things new. Because as you look around our city, neighborhood, there's probably some things that you look and you say, that's discouraging. That's really hard. And even it's your own life. Lord, make me new. And so we've been looking at uh, different texts. And so uh, last week we looked at Moses. This week we're looking at Joshua. They're connected uh, because Moses was the mentor of Joshua. And so we're in Joshua chapter 5. And we're looking at verses 10 through 6 2. Uh, But the message is when God shows up, part two. So last week was part one. This week is part two. And we're looking at how God shows up in Joshua's life. We see that God showed up in Moses' life. How does he show up for Joshua? Now, our vision as a church is to be a church for a city that seeks new life in Jesus, And what that means is we are not just here trying to build a great church. We're not trying to build up Grace City to make Grace City a great church. But at the end of the day, see, we're not here to expand the name of Grace City. just want you to hear that. We're not here to expand. We are here to expand the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's only one church. We're here to expand Jesus' name. But we believe we are a local church here in the city. And we want to see Jesus build his church, which is a great church. But we are also here, by the grace of God, to build a great city. We we want to see this city flourish. It says uh, when righteous people, when godly people enter into a community, into a city, that the grace of God flows into people's lives that good things start to happen. That when you go to your workplace and you're a person of integrity, that that's a good thing. That when you're a person that's generous and you go into your classroom, that that can bring the grace of God into that place. That that when you see your neighbor struggling and you go over and say, hey, can I help? That that is bringing the grace of God into the city and the community. See, What we say is we are not a church for ourselves, we're a church for others. We're not a church for ourselves, consuming, getting what we want, but we are here to serve by the grace of God. And so that's why God has brought us here. See, we desire to be a faithful presence of the gospel. Uh, David Fitch, in his book, Faithful Presence, says, Faithful Presence names the reality that God is present in the world, And he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. When the church is a faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible. And the world is invited to join with God. Faithful presence is not only essential for our lives as Christians. It's how God has chosen to change the world. There's a great book right here, Kingdom Calling, uh, by Amy Sherman. It talks about what does it look like to live this out. So if you're wondering, okay, I want to learn more about that, I'll be right over here after service. Would love to give you this book, okay? And so you can have that. But when we talk about our church and, and, and the vision of what that looks like, our prayer for San Diego is that God would make all things new. God, make all things new. See, one of the things we talk about is we believe in this five-chapter gospel. Uh, it's the belief that God created all things good from the very beginning, uh, but that there was a fall and that there's, this, there's the reality of sin that has entered into our world. And so if you look around and you see brokenness, it's probably because of sin. But that Jesus came to redeem us from our sin. There's a redemption story, right? He came to save us. And that... Through his salvation, now people who believe in Jesus can be a part of the renewal that happens in this world. See, there's a restoration that God is doing. And eventually, there's a, there's a restoration that's going to happen and everything's going to be made new. We see that in the book of Revelation. But right now, we are in this period of tension that's called right, the already but the not yet. Like there's this already nature of that Jesus is king, that God is doing some things, but it's not yet yet where it needs to be and so that's the struggle we face on a daily basis but what happens sometimes in christianity is we truncate the gospel and we only believe in this two-chapter gospel we believe that you just need to be saved from your sin right and then jesus is going to save you from your sin and that's it that's it that's the gospel and i just want to tell you today that that's a truncated gospel it's not the full gospel Because Jesus has called you and saved you to go and be an ambassador for him. He's called you and saved you. It's it's the reason why every week at the end of service we say, Grace City, you're sent. You're sent. Why? Because you're sent to go be light in our city. Now, in order for this to happen... To see a city transformed, to see good happen in your workplace, in your school, wherever God sends you to be in your neighborhood. It starts with the last part of our vision seeking new life in Jesus. I believe for me to be a person that loves this city well, I have to first be a person who seeks Jesus. Seeking new life in Jesus. Having an encounter with the living God that changes me from the inside out. Because you know what? For me, if I'm not transformed, then I'm a person who is a consumer. And as you think about our city, a lot of people love to come and consume what San Diego is all about, right? We say San Diego is America's finest city. Do you believe that? Everybody believe that? What? (laughs) Do you believe that? San Diego's America's finest city? Yeah, like we love San Diego, right? But what happens is people love to come to San Diego and consume all of the great things that San Diego has to offer, but they never invest. They never root themselves. They never pour themselves in. They never take this mentality of saying, you know what, I want to be a part of contributing to making this place a great place to live. And as Christians, the Bible calls us to do that. But how do we do that? It starts with having a life-transforming God who comes into my life and changes me from this very selfish person to one who wants to serve. So in our series, this vision series, we're focusing on this second half of our vision statement, Seeking New Life in Jesus. And so we're looking at this for a total of six weeks. And last week we talked about this idea that that when God moves in a powerful way throughout history, one of the words that we've used throughout history as the church is this word revival. See, we've said that revival is not necessarily this seeing extraordinary things happen, but it is people experiencing the normal, ordinary operations of God in their lives normal, ordinary operations of the Holy Spirit working, right? This conviction of sin. Man, I'm I'm really selfish. Lord, change me. Conversion to, to, to really seeing Jesus, not just by name or label, but actually living and looking like Jesus. By having this assurance of God's love in your life. Or when you wake up in the morning, you say, I'm not trying to fight for my identity today, but actually I believe that I am a a daughter or or a son of God. He loves me. We were singing that earlier. To see this true life transformation happen in our lives. Where we say, wow, I never thought that God could work in my life like this. I was just standing with um, Eric Holsti yesterday. Eric just came back from Papua New Guinea. Uh, Tim Askew, one of our elders, is there right now. And looking at, looking at Eric and seeing this, uh, this glow on his face, and he's saying, I, I feel like everything's coming together with how God has purposed me and, and made me in this world. And, and my life is coming together because of something that God is doing in my heart. Right? All of this is coming together. How? Why? Because he's had a, a transformation from above. See, what happens when there's this renewal or awakening that happens in Christians is this, that sleepy Christians start to wake up. Right. Maybe we've, be, we've just kind of gotten used to living in, in the, the stream of the culture and the way that things are. We're just like, well, that's just how it is. At least I'm going to heaven Everybody else, whatever. And we get comfortable. I go to church, but I'm not really telling anybody about who Jesus is. Sleepy Christians start to wake up. We start to see that we have a purpose in this world. Nominal Christians are converted. People who, who say, said, again, I've, I'm a Christian. Maybe they grew up as Christians and all that stuff. But, but now it's like, no, no, no. Like I, I, I met Jesus. Jesus has radically changed me. He's come into my life and my heart. And they're converted. It's like almost like, wow, I I thought I was a Christian my whole life because I grew up in it. But now I know. I know Jesus. And then people who are just like consciously like, I would never become a Christian. They're completely opposed to it. They think it's some political thing or whatever. And they're like, no way I'm becoming a Christian. And then all of a sudden, God starts moving in their life and their heart. And God starts saving them. And they start to have a transformation in their life, right? There's people that were completely opposed to it, but then God saves. So Charles Spurgeon says it's a true revival, remove obstacles and distractions, and restore the church's focus on Christ, right? The focus becomes like, oh, this wasn't about what I thought it was. This is about Jesus. That's what starts to happen in the hearts and the minds of the church. And Christians. And so our text today is again Joshua 5 10 uh, through 6 2. And I'm going to give you some context here because uh, for me, I didn't grow up in church. And so I, I want to explain to you who Joshua is and not assume, right? And, I, and again, if you're new to, to church, I just want to say welcome and I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, and so we're going to look at like who is Joshua and then what was he doing near Jericho? Right, because that's where we find him today, As we find him near this place, Jericho. And again, if you've grown up in church, you probably know that Jericho is the place where the walls come tumbling down, right? But, but what, what does that all mean? Why is he there? Why has God brought him to this place? Well, like we talked about before, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. Uh, when Joshua was born, he was born in Egypt, and so he was born into slavery. And what's happened in Joshua's life is that God has called him out of Egypt along with the people of God. Like, so no longer he's a slave, but he walks through the Red Sea. He sees all the miraculous things that God has done. And at this point when we find him, he's around 80 years old. And so if you think about it, last week we talked about Moses. When did God come into Moses' life? Around 80 years old. So he's the same age as Moses when he met God at the burning bush. And at this point, the, the people of Israel had crossed uh, the Jordan River. And, and the people had been in Egypt as, as slaves for centuries before this. They they originally came to Egypt like we talked about last week because of this great famine. And God had placed Joseph in this leadership position. and so Joseph was one of the, the leaders that we read about in the Bible. Godly man, God puts him in charge in uh, Egypt, and he brings his family and everyone over. And so what happens is this new Pharaoh rises up, he says, "I don't know anything about Joseph. and so he enslaves the Israelite people." And so they were put into slavery. But then God leads them out, right? And so Joshua is a part of that group that goes out. As God raised up Moses, they were uh, brought through the Red Sea. They, they came through the wilderness and they came to this, uh, this place that they lived before. So when we, we find them here, this was already a place that they'd lived before they went to Egypt, this was already their home. But what they found was that there were people who had taken over where they were living. So there's people that just kind of came in. So it's like if you were to leave your home on vacation and somebody came and then, uh, you know, they started living at your house. Like, okay, what's going on here? And so that's what's, you know, if you picture it, there, there's people living in their homes. And so God says... I'm going to lead you in there, and I'm going to give you the land. And now, uh, the first place that they come is the city of Jericho, right? So when Moses is still alive, Joshua is there. Moses sends out these uh, 12 scouts to scout the land. So they're going, and they're checking it out, and they check out this place, Jericho. And what happens is that Joshua is one of the 12. Joshua and another guy named Caleb. They go into the land. They start scouting it out. They're like, wow, okay, this, this is our home. This is God's given this. This is where we're supposed to be. But then we find that there's 10 others that come back, and they're like, uh, no. Do you see the people that are living? There? There's no way that we could get our homes back and, and we could start to live there again. And so Joshua is sitting there this time, and and God had said, okay, because of their lack of faith, you guys are going to be wandering for 40 years. So Joshua, at that time, when he's like, yeah, I believe God, I'm going to trust him, he was about 40 years old. God turns to him he says, okay, Joshua, you and Caleb, you're going to survive this wandering, but that's that's it. So you're going to remember what's happening here. You're going to remember everything. And so now... Joshua uh, finds himself sitting there, kind of wondering okay, Lord, I've wandered for 40 years. You've kept us out of this land, and I'm 80 years old. We find out that his friend Caleb's about 85 years old. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? See, as Joshua arrives to this place of Jericho, he's the general. His mentor, Moses, has died. He's a different person after wandering for 40 years. And he gets to this moment where he goes out all by himself, and he's looking at this task and just wondering, okay, God, what are you going to do? See, he remembers standing there with the scouts and, and them giving him every excuse why they couldn't do it. It was excuses of self-pity. We don't have the education. We don't have the leadership skills. We don't have the military training. We have no technology. We don't have the resources. We can't do it. It's impossible. We've lost We're going to be wiped out. And then in this text, Joshua comes out, he looks up, and he remembers it all. Right? He remembers it all. So again, what is he going to do in this moment? That's the scene. That's the setup here. So what does it look like when God shows up in Joshua's life? We're going to break it down in three ways. The first one is this. From the text, we see there is a reminder, number one. Number two, a, instead of revival, we put reawakening. A reawakening, and number three is a revelation. Reminder, reawakening, revelation. And so the first one is a reminder. Uh, look at verses 10 through 12. Of Canaan that year. Now what's happening here? Well, the people are being reminded of God's grace in their lives. They're being reminded of all God has done in the past. They were being reminded that as a people, they were very small and weak, but God was able to save them. Right, the, the, this is a refreshing reminder of God's mercy and grace over them. We see it first in, in them taking over this, the, or taking this Passover meal. What is the Passover? Well, the Passover is the reminder of how God is the one who saved them out of Egypt. There's this amazing passage in, in, um, in Jude. And if you read it in the ESV version in Jude uh, 6, so there's only one chapter in Jude. But it says, um, he's, he says this. He's just kind of like this passing thing. Uh, he, he basically says, uh, don't you remember when uh, Jesus saved a people out of uh, Egypt? I want to remind you of when Jesus saved a people out of Egypt. And you're like, what? When did Jesus, Jesus save? Wait, it's 5. Verse 5. Verse um, 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. What? When did Jesus do that? At the Passover. (laughs) That's when he did it. We're talking about this pre-incarnate Jesus there at, at this moment of rescue. Now we talked about this last week, but what was happening was the people of Israel, they were at a dead end. They were at a spiritual dead end, but they were at a physical dead end because they couldn't do it. They could not do this. Right? They were finished as a people if God did not rescue them. And then in verse 11 and 12, it says that God provided this provision for them. It says that the people of Israel were there for 40, you know, going through the desert for 40 years, and they were eating manna. So manna was this bread that fell from heaven and they would eat it. And that's really mostly what this generation knew. That's all they knew. This is what we eat. We're eating what are we eating today? What's it? manna? That's it, it's manna. And so that was their meal for 40 years. And what this is, is God's provision for his people. That's a pretty miraculous thing, right? You think there's food falling from heaven? Yeah, that's pretty miraculous. But also, what happens next is God is providing for them with this fruit. You see it here, okay? So God has given them this fruit, right, that they're eating now in the land. It says that the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. I want you to think about maybe that first day as the manna is gone, right? Like they walk out, all right, manna time. Where is it? What what happened, right? Like, where's the manna at? It ceased. God is providing for them in a new way. He's providing from the land. And what this is, is a reminder that God gives us very simple things, that we take as very simple or natural things that are his blessings, and also miraculous provision comes through. But the point is this, that it all comes from the hand of God. It all comes from his hand. right? God provides through the miraculous and the routine moments of life. And so the question for the people at this point is this. Do they see that God is the one that's their provider? That he's providing for them? That he's giving them all that they have? That his hand is at work, whether it's in the manna, or whether it's in the fruit that they went and go, went, went to go pick that day. Psalm 8, 3 through 4 says this: When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. As you think about, it, like I was reading that in my devotionals this week. I was just like, wow. The same God who placed the stars in the sky, who created the heavens, is a God who cares about me? And what wells up inside of us when we read things like that? Of course he does. I deserve it. Yeah, it's just how the way it is. Wow. God, you love me and care about me like that? Everything that you place in my hand is a gift, Lord. You care about me? See, we need constant reminders of how God has worked in the past so that we can have assurance of how he will provide in the future. He's constantly reminding us, saying, Don't you remember this moment and this moment and this moment that I came through for you? Won't you see it? Right, We're about to be, as a church, eight years old next week. And it is a constant reminder to me of God's grace. Because I know that it's totally his gift in, 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 in from him. right? Like I, I didn't do anything. And so it's like, I can tell you all the reasons why we wouldn't be eight years old. I can. I can tell you all the reasons why we wouldn't. But by the grace of God, he's brought us to this moment. And I'm thankful. David Firth says this. He says, Israel can simultaneously look back with thanksgiving to the things God has done while also looking forward to the additional things he will do. By the way of analogy, our celebration of the Lord's Supper is simultaneously a memorial of what God has done for us in the death, resurrection of Jesus, and in anticipation of the day of Jesus' return. It's because we know that what God has already done for us, that we go forward with hope and confidence, sure, because we have already experienced God's faithfulness. This is Israel's position as they celebrate this Passover. Why are they celebrating the Passover right before the battle that they're about to go into? Because they need to know that they serve a faithful God. They need to know that God is with them and cares about them. And so next we see this reawakening that starts to happen in, in, in Joshua here. Because Joshua finds himself at this point, this isn't the corporate gathering of the, of the Passover. But now he's finding himself kind of off alone by himself. And so here's what it says in verses 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, what do we see here? Well, what we see is for Joshua, this is a needed reawakening that he had to have of who God is in his life. Right, he'd walked through the Red Sea. He'd been there for different miraculous things that he saw with Moses, but now he is experiencing something that he needed in this moment. Because again, what what can happen is we can start to get used to God's provision. We can get used to it and, and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, he did that. I get it. And he's about to go into battle. And the worst thing for Joshua and the people is that he goes into battle on his own strength. And he goes out there for his own glory. And so this mysterious figure comes and and enters into his life. And so in verse 13, it says... um, That he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. Um, Now, one commentator, uh, David Howard, says that the word behold here indicates a change in perspective. From the narrator's all knowing perspective to Joshua's more limited perspective. And it captures some of his surprise at seeing this threatening sight. We might paraphrase here by saying, He looked. And what do you know? A man was standing opposite of him. Joshua's question of this man reflects a natural human concern with the immediate. He was concerned with the battles ahead and whether or not he could count on this man. He's entering in with a very human perspective, right? Like much like we do. We think that the battles out there, are out in the world, and we're going to go battle and do some things for God. We're going to enter into some spaces, and it's going to be about us. And what we find is that, behold, there was uh, someone standing there in Joshua's life. And so Joshua asked this question, verses 13 through 14. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, uh, one pastor says it like this. He says, well, are you for us or against us? The, The commander is saying, I'm not the kind of person who's for or against anybody. People are for or against me. You cannot relate to me unless you choose to be for or against me. But to ask me whether I'm for or against you is the wrong question. Do you see what's happening here? Joshua is asking the wrong question. His question is, are you for or against me? And some of us right now in our relationship with God are looking up to heaven saying, God, are you for me or are you against me? Because I don't get what's going on down here. And much like Joshua, we need to hear a word from God today that says, you're asking the wrong question. Because it isn't about us being for, him being for or against us. It's are we for or against him? Are we for his plans or are we against his plans? Am I for what God's doing or am I against it? It's this humbling moment in Joshua's life where he realizes, oh, th- th- this isn't just some man. Because what happens is, um, as, as we look at this, we see that um, in verse 13, Joshua went to him and said to him this. What we find is that this word, the way that it's talking about in the Hebrew, is he came with, with an intensity like he was about to fight. So he gets face-to-face with this man, and he says, are you for us or against us? That's the type of intensity we're talking about that Joshua came with. And then what do we see next? With the response, he falls flat on his face. Neither. Sin about you, Joshua. You You need to be reawoken to the reality of what's happening here. Got to watch Eric's dog while he was in Papua New Guinea. The dog, I've told you about it, he's about like this big. His name's Commander. A <laughs> couple times this week, Commander, usually quiet, quiet little guy, started barking and getting all huffy and puffy, walking around the house hear some barking outside. Commander, come here, buddy. It's okay. You're not going to do anything, man. (laughs) You can't do nothing, buddy. You were like this big, and I'm scared if I step on you accidentally, something's going to happen. Like I'm walking around like this, trying not to, you know, like just interact with him like that. Do you understand that's Joshua here? Yeah, he's got the title of commander, but who's the commander? God. He's coming into contact with the real commander. And he's coming face to face in a way that the reality of it brings him down with his face to the ground. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant?" You know, there's a lot of back and forth, who is this warrior? I don't have time to get all into it here in just this moment because we're running out of time. But what we need to understand is this, that when it talks about this warrior with his sword drawn, it only talks about him uh, It only uses this type of phrasing twice in Scripture. Both of them have to do with the angel of the Lord. We've talked about this before. Uh, One of them is in Numbers 22. Another is in 1 Chronicles 21.16. The only times it talks about coming into contact with with a a being and this word with a sword drawn in his hand. It's only used in the Old Testament of the angel of the Lord. Now, what we've talked about is this. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That's why we can translate Jude when he says in Jude 5 that, he, that there was, there was uh, Jesus who saved the people out of Egypt, right? So that's what's happening here. And he is getting a, a, a wake-up call that the commander of the Lord is not Joshua, it's Jesus. And so when he says, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so, what is this reminding him of? Oh yeah, I remember somebody told him, uh, Moses, that in a bush when, when in Exodus 3. Yeah, I remember Moses telling me about that one time. What he, say? He did so. I've read all these commentators. I don't know who this commander of the Lord is, you know, this and that. And I'm like, maybe we're missing some pieces. No, the point is, we are supposed to see Jesus. That's where it leaves off. That's why it's so abrupt. Do you see him or do you not see him? We need an awakening. We need to be woken up from our sleep here, right? That's what's happening. Tim Keller once said, he says, revival is not just an emotional experience, but it's a resetting of our hearts and minds to align with God's will. That's what's happening for Joshua here. It's a reawakening for him. And so the last one is Revelation. Verses six, uh, one through two. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, and his king and mighty men of valor. Now, what's happening here? Well, Joshua didn't need more dreaming, planning, scheming to get to accomplish or to accomplish the task at hand. That's not what he needed. We talked about this before. Like, our natural bent is we need to do something, I need to figure this out. What God is calling them to is worship. He's saying, see who God is. Will you come face down and worship God and and ask him, okay, commander, what what are you asking me to do today? I thought I was the commander. I thought I was the tough one down here. No, 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 it's you, God. He needed a revelation, right? He needed something to be revealed to him. And let me ask, What he gets, do you think that that came from the mind of Joshua? What what does he get? What does the commander tell him to do? He says, first this, I've given it to you. Many times we think we need to take things for God or from God. But what we see is that the message of the gospel is it's not about you and I taking It's about receiving. It's about receiving. And God gives and takes away. Because he's in charge. And so when God says, I've given this to you, the question for Joshua is, do I believe it? And then next, what does he tell him? He says, well, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the people. I want you to take all all the your people, and I want you to go march around for seven times, right? I want you to go march around, and this is going to look a lot more like a worship service than a military strategy. Now, do you think that Joshua, who was ready to fight this man before, is the one who came up with that? But he had a revelation Oh, this isn't about me. This is about what God wants to do. And so, Lord, I need your plan, not mine. Friends, across the board, and I'm just talking about specifically in the American church today, the church doesn't need more dreaming, planning, man-centered scheming. We need a revelation from God. We need a surrender God and we need our hearts to be laid bare before him and saying God what do you want and what are your plans see it wasn't about like what the people the first time as they were entering the land thought it was about we're not strong enough because of all these reasons of course we can't do it of course that's the message Will you celebrate that you can't do it so that God can do it? That's the whole point. That's the revelation that Joshua needed. I'm going to leave with this. David Howard says, God's instructions to Joshua about the taking of, of Jericho contain no reference to military strategy, but rather indicate that it is essentially to be a ritual ceremony. The ritual nature of the episode is suggested by the absence of any military strategy, by the blowing of the trumpets, by the prominence of the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, by the solemn processionals, and by the prevalence of the number seven, which occurs four times in verse four alone and 14 times in the chapter. Seven is the number of totality, completion, and perfection in the scriptures. And its predominance in this chapter emphasizes the completeness of Yahweh's victory on Israel's behalf, God's victory on Israel's behalf wasn't about how clever Joshua was. And so, the question for us is as we think about what God's plan was, it didn't make sense. And your life's not going to make sense either at times, many times. But do you know that it actually did make a whole lot of sense? Because what happens, and, and this is, if you want to look it up, um, Joel Kramer, Jericho, they, they, he's an archaeologist. They've they they've uncovered all of these, this place in Jericho where it happened. And they said that um, there, the... the the way that the, the city was built, there's no way that the Israelites could have got in. There was no way for them to. It was, it was completely fortified. And so as they're marching, all this stuff, the, the, the walls ca- came tumbling down for a reason. It, didn't, it wasn't just like, oh, we have no walls. Like, No, it, was, it became a ramp for them to get into the place. <laughs> That's what it was. It was like, oh. It came tumbling down, but it created a ramp for them to go into the city. And they didn't know that. They couldn't have guessed that, right? But God knew that. So the question for us today is this. How have we seen God's hand? Do we have a grateful heart for what he's done in our life? Or are we sitting in despair, discouragement, and self-pity and saying, you know what? There's no way that God can do something in my life. How can you and, and, and us as a church seek his face? What we see is that Joshua gets right into God's face and then he falls flat on his face in worship. Here's what we need. You and I need a glimpse of God's face, but many times we're too busy seeking his hand, saying, God, what what can you give me? Is our prayer life just filled with, Lord, what can you give me? I'm seeking your hand today, ready for that distribution of whatever you're going to give me. But we don't spend much time seeking his face, building a relationship with him and knowing who he is. And lastly, how can we surrender to his will? See, the battle you're facing are you believing it's your battle? Or could you believe that God is on your side and loves you and cares for you and wants to do more and abundantly through you if you would just surrender to his will and his plan? See, the message of the gospel is this that Jesus, he saved a people out of Egypt. And he also saved us ultimately from the enemy that was greater than Egypt, sin and death. And in Colossians it says that he went to the cross, defeated the dominion of darkness, rose from the dead. And gave us a hope that we could have never had on our own. Today, you walked in, you thought that the message of Christianity is clean up your life, you can do it, just be a better person. I want you to know that today, that's not the message. The message is this you can't do it. Our sin and the curse of death is too strong. But he can do it. God did it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as a church family, to to have that vision, to seek new life in Jesus, that's who we want to be. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you show up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift it is to be your children, to be loved by you. And we pray, Lord, that today you will show us what it means to seek your face, not just your hand and what you can do for us. Those things are important, Lord, and you know that. But just like the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, you're the one who can provide. And so please, Lord, provide in your way and your time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GrayCitysd.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.